Alright, what's going on everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. Before we start into today's episode, I have a quick question for you. Raise your hand if you are listening and you are a founder or you are a founder type or working on side projects. Now, if you're if you're driving, please don't raise your hand. But if you're thinking that's me, chances are you might have a co-founder and in today's world, everything's remote. And this is unfortunate for founding teams because teams work fastest when they're together, right? When you're starting something new from scratch, being in the same room has a magical kind of feeling to it. And when we're all remote, you don't really get the same thing. Well, what if I told you there's a way to get that same output, right? Get that same feeling while being remote. And luckily there is. Uh, our sponsor for the next couple of weeks for Forward Thinking Founders is Sidekick. And Sidekick is an always-on display that sits next to you, next to your computer. It allows you to work right next to your co-founder like you were in the same room. This eliminates most of the problems that you kind of get when founding a startup remotely. And you're able to move faster and, and, and kind of get stuff done in a much more efficient way like you could with if you were in the same room. And luckily, because you're a listener of Forward Thinking Founders, you get a big discount on on Sidekick devices. If you go to sidekick.video slash FTF, you get $30 off. The market rate is $50 per device. As a listener of this podcast, it is $20 per device. $30 off total per device. So go to sidekick.video slash FTF, get your devices, and get you and your co-founders working together like you're in the same room, even if you're remote. Hope you enjoy it. What is going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. I am very grateful to have your attention, at least for the next 15 minutes of this episode. Forward Thinking Founders is a podcast where I interview pre-seed and seed stage founders about their products, what they want to build into the world, and why. We dive into how they spend their time, what's their vision, what's the origin of stories, all these things, so you can learn all about what's coming tomorrow. Because these companies haven't hit critical scale yet. Most of them haven't hit product market fit. These are just early stage companies, and the big question is, what can this be? And in this podcast, we bring that out. So with that, I really hope you enjoy your time listening to today's episode. And I've already done 200 plus, so if you like this one, listen to some of the other ones, like with Imadi Kuhn, Austin Allred, Leah Culver. We have great interviews, so check it out. Enjoy the repository, and for now, let's get into today's episode. Here we go. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders about their companies, their visions of the future, and how the two collide. Today is another segment of Partner Mondays, which is when we talk to a VC, an investor, about um, how they think about investing in all things in that category. Today, we're talking to Wes Barton, who is the managing partner at Third Prime Capital. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, Matt. Uh, Doing well. Glad to be here. Yeah, excited to have you on. I now, as of a couple of days ago, I'm doing uh, thir- I'm publishing 13 founder interviews a week. So when I get to talk to a venture capitalist on the other side of the table, it's always a little bit of a of a switch, which I which I love. I love kind of talking about that kind of side of stuff. For people that um, people that aren't familiar with you or, th- or or Third Prime, can you just kind of start with a, a short background on you and like what's Third Prime? Wh- what kind of found- like what stage are you looking at? Just kind of an over overall introduction so people have some context. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so Third Prime, we're a, a firm based out of out of New York City, um, focused on the early stage. So, uh, you know, primarily investing at the pre-seed, seed, and, and occasionally the Series A uh, rounds. 
um, industry agnostic. So we're, uh, you know, we're not wed to any uh, individual industry. We're, um, you know, focused on, um, you know, things that we think are, uh, you know, sort of, you know, benefiting from a macro tailwind, you know, so we've done a fair amount in fintech. We, we think healthcare is, uh, is very exciting. We like large addressable markets. Um, you know, in terms of sort of the geographic focus, we um, obviously invest in a lot of entrepreneurs in New York City, but, but we also um, are, are looking to invest in, you know, what, what many people sort of refer to as secondary and tertiary geographies. Um, you know, we've, we've made investments in places like Richmond, Virginia, um, you know, Greensboro, North Carolina, Huntsville, Alabama. So, so really looking to find, uh, you know, talented entrepreneurs addressing, you know, sort of large, important problems wherever they may exist. Um, and, uh, you know, we, one other thing I'd note, you know, Matt, is, is we're uh, a lead investor. So um, we're, we're typically going to be that firm that, that's going to, um, you know, sort of work with the entrepreneurs to, to set terms of around, to write a, a meaningful, uh, you know, check, to, to most likely, you know, take a board seat to help uh, draft a definitive documentation um, and then really work hand in glove with those entrepreneurs over the course of the next 12, 24 months um, before they raise uh, their, their next financing round. Appreciate you sharing all of that. So I kind of want to dive into um, starting with like where, where you find founders. So obviously you, um, you're based in New York, you, you find a lot from New York, um, but I'm kind of intrigued. Um, a lot of people listening, like I have the demographics on this or <laughs> excuse me, are, based all around the world, um, all around the states, all around the world. Um, how do you think about um, finding great entrepreneurs in different geographies? Um, or is it more of an inbound and you're more so managing the inbound? I guess, how do you think of like the different types of geos and finding founders? Sure. Um, it's, a, it's a good question. And, and we spend a lot of time, you know, thinking about it. Uh, obviously, as you can imagine, sourcing good entrepreneurs is, is incredibly important. Um, and, 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 you know, you sort of touch on inbound versus outbound. I'll take those one at a time because, you know, they're, they're both important. So on the inbound side, uh, we, we, we definitely get a lot of traffic. Um, we've, we've cultivated a lot of relationships with, you know, existing entrepreneurs, with other uh, venture capitalists, with angel investors, with incubators, accelerators, and whatnot that, that often, um, you know, will send us, you know, what, what they think are attractive opportunities. So we stay quite active just sort of, you know, uh, rifling through those, uh, you know, those opportunities that are coming into the email and, and so forth. Um, you know, on the outbound as well, we, we recognize there are a lot of founders, especially in some of these, um, you know, markets that are outside the Valley or, or sort of New York City where, where you know, you, you find, you know, uh, a lot of venture capitalists. So, so we work hard to, um, you know, try to uh, build relationships with, with universities, with, you know, with accelerators, with incubators, with, you know, angel investors, folks that might be investing in some of these entrepreneurs at the very, you know, in the very earliest days, um, you know, because we recognize that, that they often sort of have, have the pulse on those local markets. Um, and so we've, you know, we, we've done, I think, a good job in, in trying to do that, especially throughout the Southeast and, and increasingly the Midwest. Um, and, you know, that, that's been fairly productive for us. You know, I'd say when you look at, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, the composition of, of our investments, I'd say you know, about 80% of those have probably been inbound, but, uh, you know, 20% is, is sort of outbound. And we think that that's increasingly important, um, you know, given more and more entrepreneurs, we think are sort of sitting in some of these, you know, markets where, you know, you, you need to hop on a plane, you kind of need to know what's, what's, you know, going on locally there to, you know, to, to sort of, you know, meet them, uh, you know, early. Definitely. That, that, that's, that's awesome insight to know kind of how you think about that in regards to, 
um, markets. Like I think most most um, VCs want to invest in a market that's big or could be big. And you mentioned that you're you know you're, you're trying to find you're in that same category as like all, all VCs like good markets. How do you think about um, good markets? And you mentioned a couple. Why are those interesting to you? And uh, um, when a founder actually, I'll, I'll start. I'll, I'll start there. I guess the found, the markets that you that you mentioned. Why those? Why not other ones? And how do you how do you evaluate kind of up and coming markets? Yeah, so so I mentioned fintech. I mentioned you know sort of healthcare. You know, also we've we've done a fair amount in sort of you know property technologies as well. Um, you know, I think the the common thread through all those is you know obviously large. You know, Matt, which which you you know touched on. Um, you know, got, got to check that box. But you know, what we really like to see as well is you know sort of uh, an opportunity um, you know for tech advancement. So you know, again, lots of money coming into fintech. You know, it's been happening for for a decade now. Um, but we still think that we're in the early innings there. there. There's still a lot of legacy technologies. A lot of the incumbents are slow moving. Um, and, and we still feel like there, there are a lot of sort of ways to, to kind of wedge in and, and, and really build, um, you know, uh, profitable and, and durable businesses. Same thing on the healthcare side, right? Again, you, you see, um, you know, a lot of legacy technologies, you know, incumbents are often slow moving. Uh, there, there's a lot of capital there and, and, and same across prop tech. Um, you know, we are third prime, you know, again, investing in the early days, we don't necessarily need, you know, a, a $10 billion outcome to, you know, to, to move the needle for, you know, for our investors. Um, so, so one of the things that we like to think about in, in sort of uh, addressing these markets is, you know, our, our incumbents acquisitive, um, you know, not many companies end up going the IPO route. Most are actually acquired, you know, by, by strategics. And so, um, you know, when you look at, you know, sort of the, the, the number of potential buyers, you know, in, in the financial services landscape and the healthcare landscape, um, you know, to, to name a couple, there's just a lot of ways to go. You know, in fact, we, we sold uh, one of our portfolio companies named ZipDrug uh, just a few weeks ago to, you know, Anthem, uh, the public insurer. So, so I think that's, that's an example of, you know, how you can, you know, get involved early. Typically, you know, for us, it's, you know, going to be uh, sort of, you know, when, when companies are generating $100,000 in revenue on a monthly basis or less, probably going to be valued at less than $20 million on a pre-money basis. And, you know, if we can drive that to an outcome worth a couple hundred million dollars, you know, we, we can see, uh, uh, you know, very lucrative returns. For sure. Um, I kind of, uh, can you kind of dive into the fact that, that since you invest pre-seed, you, um, you mentioned that you don't need like a 10, 20, $30 billion outcome to move the needle. Although that's nice, obviously, like you don't need that. Can you kind of explain that to me and like why, like why maybe like a series C investor might need a, a C, not C, that C investor might need that kind of outcome, whereas a pre-seed may not. I think that's just some, some kind of info there that listeners might, might want to understand. Sure. Yeah. And, and so, you know, Matt, what you're referring to is sort of, you know, your, your, your multiple of, of investment. So to kind of provide an example, um, as, as I said, a lot of times, you know, when, when you're investing at pre-seed seed, um, you know, you're, you're probably getting involved at, at sub $20 million valuation. Um, you know, series C, uh, you know, most likely if a company's made it to that level, they're, they're going to be um, you know, sort of much larger, much more valuable. So that valuation is probably going to be in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and, you know, when you, when you underwrite these investments, you know, people have sort of different strategies and methodologies, but, you know, invariably at the early stage, you know, you're looking for at least a, a potential uh, for 10 X or better. 
Um, you know, at Series C, you're probably not looking for, you know, a, a 10x multiple. Uh, you're probably, you know, a, a bit closer to exit. So, you know, I'd say most of the Series C investors are, are trying to underwrite to a 3, 4x, um, you know, some higher, you know, some perhaps lower. But, you know, what, what you're doing there is, you know, if you're coming in at three, four, five hundred million dollars, you're sort of working backwards thinking, okay, well, if there's no uh, other investment, right, so, so I'm not going to be diluted from, from future investment, um, you know, I'm probably going to need something, you know, to the tune of, uh, you know, billion, two billion dollars to sort of pencil out to that four or five, you know, X return. Um, you know, what, what likely is to happen is there'll be a series D round right there there could be you know some, some subsequent rounds and so you know as i mentioned before you're, you're likely your position is likely to get diluted um or or you know if you want to protect that position you'll have to put more dollars to work um so so that starts to dictate you know needing you know something that, that could be approaching five billion dollars right to sort of make the math work so um as an investor when you're when you're coming into these uh you know situations the way we analyze this is, is again sort of doing that math working backwards thinking about well if it's a hundred million dollar outcome you know for us what, what's that likely to pencil to, right? How, how many, how many, you know, financing rounds might it take to get there? How much dilution could we face? Um, so, so th those are sort of, you know, the dynamics that come into play. And again, you know, the Series C investor is just going to be investing at a lot, lot higher valuation, so they'll need a, a much larger outcome to sort of, you know, get get the, you know, the the, the right math. Yeah, that's very informative. Appreciate that. So you, you, you mentioned that you are in, into fintech. There's a lot of things that can be done. There's this, you know, a realm that's been, um, you know, bubble, not, not a realm. It's like a technology that's been growing, which is blockchain and, and Bitcoin, which is in the fintech world. Um, do you, are you kind of bought into what blockchain and Bitcoin could do? Do you um, think it's like way too early? I guess, how do you think about um, blockchain, Ethereum, Bitcoin in regards, in, in regards to investing um, into companies in those spaces? Yeah, you know, Matt, Matt, I think it's, you know, incredibly um, exciting technology, right? Still in the, in the very, very early days of, of blockchain and its potential. It's something that, that we're certainly paying a lot of attention to. Um, you know, you also mentioned, uh, you know, Bitcoin. I, I think, you know, as a store of value, especially today, when you think about, you know, the, the, the printing of money and, and, you know, potential for inflation and whatnot, um, I think Bitcoin is, is increasingly interesting. Um, I, you know, I personally own some Bitcoin, I've been invested in it for a while and, and pay a lot of attention to that market. I think you know, there's a public company, you know, recently as well that mentioned, you know, um, you know, their, their treasury is going to start, uh, you know, sort of leaning on, you know, Bitcoin rather than fiat currency as well. I think we're just seeing a lot more institutional adoption of Bitcoin. I think that, um, you know, as a venture capitalist, a lot, a lot of what we're thinking about is, you know, sort of how high is the ceiling on something, you know, recognizing that all you can lose is, is, is you know, sort of your, your dollars invested. I think there's there's some fantastic optionality in, in Bitcoin. Um, you know, when you look at you know the fact that you know there's a limited supply, um, you sort of basic economics, and you know recognizing that I, I think demand is is likely to continue to decrease at a, at a rapid clip. Um, you know, uh, on a global scale here, that there's there's a lot of upside left in Bitcoin. It's something that uh, I'm particularly bullish on, um, as well as blockchain. But I think you know blockchain again is. Uh, you know, still, still a lot to be proven in, in terms of sort of, you know, the product market fit and finding, you know, sort of ways, you know, for, for companies to, you know, to, to leverage that technology. I actually want to dive into that, into markets that are nascent today, but are bound to be big. It's just a matter, it's just like the, the big question of like, when, like, why now? 
How, um, like, I think another one of these markets is actually, I'm pretty bullish on virtual reality. I own, I know it's been a long time coming, but I own an Oculus Quest. And I feel like I, I, that is something that most people haven't tried yet. They've tried the Rift, but not the Quest. And the Quest is just something else, right? So I'm kind of bullish on like VR is going to happen. It's just when. How do you think about these types of markets, um, AR, VR, blockchain, that are obviously a thing, but they're not there yet? How do you evaluate when they're there? What are the signs or signals um, that you look at before going into a market and investing? Yeah, yeah, again, Matt, good, good question. So, um, you know, as a venture capitalist, you know, we, we need to be early, right? And so a lot of times there's going to be risk on these markets and, and, and some of them will ultimately, you know, won't prove out. But, um, you know, I, I think you try to, uh, you know, assess where, where the future is headed, um, you know, and invest behind those technologies that can power that future. Uh, you know, one, one that we have been doing work on today is, is something that you might have, you know, heard about called embedded fintech, um, which is, uh, you know, sort of banking as a service or, or, you know, allowing a lot of sort of consumer brands or whatnot to actually, uh, you know, provide, um, you know, financial services to their, you know, uh, customer base as well. You know, they've already acquired this customer and, you know, is there, is there more they can do from a financial standpoint to, to you, know, uh, you know, provide additional monetization opportunities, you know, where you don't have any additional customer acquisition costs? Um, you know, we think that that is, is, is something that, that is, you know, sort of interesting. We actually just made an investment in a company called uh, Rise, R-I-Z-E, out of Arlington, Virginia, that's, uh, that's sort of powering, uh, you know, some of those opportunities. So that, that's one, again, very, very sort of nascent stages. But, you know, if it does take off, providing the pipes and infrastructure um, to, to allow, um, you know, sort of any company to be a fintech company, we think is, is a huge, huge opportunity and, and a trend that we're you know, certainly paying attention to. And then the final realm I want to get to is founders. Obviously, markets matter. Obviously, um, all, uh, product matters. But the thing that kind of powers all of this is the founders and the founding team. Um, what do you what do you look for in founders? And if you had two companies that were identical, same traction, same product, but you know, very different types of founders, what would be the type of team that you would bet on? Uh, I guess, like, what do you like in founders? Yeah, um, you know, to, to really distill it down, I think it comes, you know, IQ, EQ, grit, they all matter, right? Now I'll sort of take those one at a time. So, you know, so, so grit, first and foremost, being an entrepreneur is very, very hard. It's, um, it's competitive, the landscape shifting on you all the time. Um, you know, lots of, lots of things just, just don't sort of go uh, the way you might plan. So, you know, one of the things we, we, we look at is, is sort of investing in those people that have just tremendous passion, right? Like there's, they're not in it just for the money. Um, there, there are easier ways to make money. So, so you really have to be looking to solve this problem. It has to be something that just, you know, sort of drives you every day. So, so we, you know, uh, look, look to sort of, you know, satisfy that element um, at the outset. Um, you know, grit's not enough. Uh, you also have to, you know, have a lot of IQ. And, 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 you know, when I say that, it's not necessarily scoring highs on an IQ test, but it's about having some vision, right? Ha having some insight that, that other folks don't, being able to see around the corner. So, so I think having, you know, sort of, uh, you know, uh, IQ sort of in, in, in your industry, in your space is, is very, very important. And then the last element is EQ, right? You, you've got to build a team. You've got to be able to win over customers. You've got to be able to sell to investors. So, so that charisma, um, you know, being magnetic, um, is something that's also an important element. So, you know, as you can see here, you've got to be very, very well-rounded, um, you know, to the extent that you've got a blind spot, you know, it's important to recognize that and try to, you know, build, you know, build your team to sort of, you know, sort of satisfy that void. Um, but, but those are, you know, sort of the, you know, the elements that I think, um, you know, are, are sort of most uh, indicative and, and representative across our portfolio. 
I have one last question for you. Um, it might, it's, it's one that like I am intimate with, like just, I think about this a lot. There's this dichotomy when wanting to start a startup where like the, the, the longer you go before starting one, potentially the more well-rounded you are as a, as a person, yet the risk of starting a company goes up versus because you might have a family, you might have kids, et cetera, um, versus if you're 18 and you're thinking about, oh, college or company, you have not much, you know, you, you don't have anything, so you just start, but you're the, the least rounded version of yourself when you're 18. Um, and I think about this a lot myself as I am go- I'm going into my second like company startup um, and just evaluating when to raise money. Like, ha- how do you think founders more on the younger side that are still develop? Everyone's developing, but like, like I would say in their twenties, how should they think about, um, uh, you know, going big at just to because they can take more risks now versus waiting to be more well rounded and then going big maybe in a couple of years or in a decade. Yeah. So, um, you know, as I said before, I, I think you need to make sure you've really got a passion uh, for whatever you're, you're, you're looking to build. Um, because as I said, this, this is hard. So it's not, you know, if, if you just kind of wake up and say, Hey, I want to be an entrepreneur and you know, you got a you know, few ideas that, you know, you, you pick one out of a hat, very, very hard to, you know, to, to, to be successful. Um, you know, as I said before, kind of going back to that framework I was discussing, you know, EQ, you know, people have that or they don't. It's, it's kind of hard to, you know, to learn, uh, you know, uh, charisma. I mean, people can improve it. But, you know, thinking about do you have the, you know, the, the toolkit that's going to be conducive to, to building that team, to, to going out and selling a, you know, sort of product and whatnot. Um, and then, you know, that, that IQ thing that I mentioned, I think that, that's the element that, that could come into play, right? As you get more expertise, as you um, sort of bounce off into an industry, sort of really understand a problem, a pain point. You know, a lot of times just coming out of school, maybe you do, maybe you have experienced something, right, that, that you know, you, you could build a big business behind. But, but many instances, and I think that's why the data suggests that, you know, a lot of times your most successful entrepreneurs don't start their business till they're in their 40s, you know, late 30s. And, and I think that's because they do have that experience. They are a bit more well-rounded, have, have you know, a few more tools in their, in their toolkit. Um, and, and probably have, have lived the problem firsthand, right? And, and might uh, be more facile uh, and more efficient in, in looking to solve that problem. So, you know, while, while I would not, you know, say that, you know, if you've got a burning desire to go start a company, you've identified a real problem, you, you, you know, you, you've got just immense passion for it, go do it. Um, but, but, you know, if not, I think it's, it's, uh, it's wise to go sort of work for some companies, you know, uh, gain, uh, you know, skills and, 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 you know, really make sure that, that you know how, how to best address a problem that you're looking to solve. I think sometimes people forget that starting a startup and raising venture capital is kind of like the pro leagues of business. Like there's all sorts of business. A newsletter is in the ways of business, right? As is a bootstrap company. And if you're, if you're taking venture capital, like you're entering the pro, like that is the pro league and it may, may as well make sure you have some experience under your belt and, you know, some reps before you enter the NFL or right. Or the NBA. It's kind of an analogy that I, I like using. Um, my last question for you. Um, I know I said that last time, but this is my last question is what is something you wish founders that were pitching you or not even founders that are pitching, but just founders in general, what do you wish they knew about you as a VC, about VC in general, about company building that would make their lives a little easier? I guess what's the most common blind spot that you, that you come by when you meet founders? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, um, you really need to know sort of what you're, what you're going for. Now, as you, as you referenced, um, you know, uh, venture capital is, 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 is hard to, you know, um, 
sort of access in many in many regards. And you know, frankly, I think there are a lot of businesses that that just you know don't need to access you know venture capital. There are a lot of other pools of money out there, whether it be high net worth individuals or family offices. Um, that, that probably could be a better partner. Um, you know, what, what we are doing as, as venture capitalists is, is looking to invest in those outcomes that can be worth, you know, certainly hundreds of millions of dollars and in most instances, billions of dollars, right? And, and by and large, most businesses don't have sort of that upside potential and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Um, so, so I think it, it's important to be very thoughtful about, you know, what you're trying to achieve. Um, you know, because uh, again, you, you just, you don't want to waste your time sort of going in, um, you know, kind of on, on a fool's errand, if you will, if you, if you don't have a business that, that really can scale to, you know, to these great heights. Um, also being mindful about what you're looking for in a partner, right? It's going to be a two-way street. Um, you know, we get involved again very early. It's, it's not uncommon for us to go six, eight, you know, even 10 years, right, in an investment. And so, um, you know, sort of the, the, the people, uh, you know, factor is, is, is really important. Is this somebody that you want to be on the phone with multiple times, you know, a week? Is this somebody that you want to be sort of in the trench with? Um, that, that, that's very important as well. So, you know, capital is a commodity, you know, people aren't. And so I, I just, you know, would, would encourage people to be really, really thoughtful and mindful about, um, you know, uh, how important it is to choose the right partner for you. All right. Well, thank you, Wes, so much for coming on to the podcast. I think I learned a ton. I know the listeners did as well. So I appreciate you coming on for this, this segment of Partner Mondays. Uh, great, Matt. Uh, you know, really enjoyed it. Appreciate you having me. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Forward Thinking Founders. If you want more of Forward Thinking, I'm excited to let you know that we now have a community. Well, it's not really a community. It's more of a city. It's called Forward Thinking City. And in Forward Thinking City, you're able to do AMAs with past guests that have been on the podcast. For example, today we just talked to Jonathan Barkle, who's the CEO of Air Garage. Um, additionally, we have the CEO of Catch, Kristen Anderson. We have Austin Allred, the CEO of Lambda School coming in. And these are people that you can talk with, right? You can ask them questions. These are AMAs. Additionally, you're able to do happy hours with other residents once a week so you can meet other people, learn about their startups. You also have a chance to do startup office hours and get feedback on your on your startup or your product, as well as get a chance to pitch actual investors, real VCs. And this is all only for $7 a month. So if you want to support me as a creator, but more importantly, if you want to move your startup career forward and faster and get you access to guests on the podcast, other people in the city, and potential investors, then go to forwardthinking.city and sign up today for $7 a month. That's forwardthinking.city. All right, see you tomorrow.